Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg, Executive Director of EdSource. And I'm John Fensterwald, Editor-at-Large at EdSource. Welcome, John. Great to be back, Lewis. Well, John, the big story this week were the funerals of students and staff from the Marjorie Stoneham Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, and the very interesting moving response from students who are trying to get gun controls implemented in Florida and elsewhere. We're also going to be talking about efforts to expand the ban on willful defiance suspensions to all K-12 grades in California. Right now, it's only limited to K-3 grades. And we'll be talking with Senator Nancy Skinner from Berkeley, who has a bill in the legislature that would extend the ban. Yes, the expressions of outrage from the students at the high school were strong, and you wrote about students' voice being a new element in in this debate over gun control. What do you think it's going to make a difference? Well, I think that's the big question. I think it's certainly very moving to have heard these voices, and I haven't seen anything like this in past massacres. And so this is really the new element, and the question is, will it make a difference? I have to say I'm pessimistic, given just the incredible resistance, particularly on the part of Republican legislators, both at the state level and certainly in Congress, to do anything about this. I think there's going to be efforts perhaps to do something on the edges, something kind of minor that looks like they are doing something, if that. I think we initially saw in Florida in the legislature initially resistance to doing anything. So I think it remains to be seen. But at the same time, this is the one thing that's different from the reactions to other horrific shootings of this kind. I think the one thing that is important is to try to amplify the voices of these young people so that they are heard loudly. Well, we tell our students to become civically engaged, and this is what they're doing. And next month in March, there will be a, a 17-minute uh, walkout at a number of schools. I've seen already in the Bay Area that dozen or so, and that's probably just the, just the start of a larger protest movement. That's 17 minutes, one minute for each of the victims. But I will say that the organizers of that walkout, the National Student Walkout, are the Women's March, the people organizers of the Women's March. That's going to give an opportunity for perhaps President Trump himself, but certainly supporters to say, oh, this is the Democrats again are putting these students up to this. And uh, there's already, we can see, an effort to tear down these students. Uh, One of the main spokespeople, the student by the name of David Hogg, who's the editor of the newspaper at the Stoneham Douglas High School. His father is a retired FBI agent. And so you see some of these right-wing news sites saying, oh, he's just trying to protect the FBI because the student was saying, oh, don't blame the FBI, blame or what we need is gun control. So we have to see how all of this plays itself out, but it certainly has introduced an interesting and I think very dynamic and necessary element to the debate. Well, those of us who are of the age will remember back in the 60s in the Vietnam War, and it takes uh, a, a tough hide sometimes to express your point of view and but uh, sometimes this momentum grows. There are examples of youthful voices, teenagers making a difference, certainly in the country I grew up in South Africa. uh, In the Soweto uprisings in 1976, teenagers rose up against the apartheid government. Hundreds were killed, but they actually led directly to Nelson Mandela being released. So 
young people can make a difference. And I would say the stakes in terms of the killings and the devastation that guns wreak on communities and the youth culture across the country, I think the stakes are at least as high as in many of these other countries and what was the case with the deaths of young people during the Vietnam War. Another thing that happened this week, a report came out on the suspension rates of black youth from school. And it showed that although suspension rates had declined for all students, including African-American students, there's still disproportionately high suspension rates for those students. And particularly for African-American boys. And one of the interesting things about this report was it showed that the, the suspension rates were particularly high in rural areas. And in addition to that, foster youth, black male students who are in the foster care system, appear to be at the greatest risk of suspensions. Particularly in 7th and 8th grades, which, uh, as you know, is a difficult time for transition for all youth, particularly, though, if you're a foster youth and uh, a minority, too. Yeah, so this is very interesting because California clearly has made amazing progress in reducing suspensions and expulsions, and as John, you indicated, across all racial and ethnic groups, but there's still a ways to go. One of the areas where advocates still feel the state needs to do more is to restrict the use of what are called willful defiance suspensions. This is a very vague category. could be used for a kid being disruptive in class, being insulting to the teacher, throwing things in the class. And generally, the feeling has been that there should be alternatives to those willful defiance suspensions, a very kind of vague category. And as I mentioned earlier, there's currently a ban on willful defiance suspensions in K-3 grades. And there's now an effort to push in Sacramento to extend the ban on willful defiance to all K-12 grades. And Senator Nancy Skinner from Berkeley has a bill in the legislature to do that. And we have Senator Skinner on the line from her office in Sacramento to talk about her bill. Senator Skinner, why did you feel it was important, or it is important, to extend the ban to all the grades? Well, willful defiance is a category of student suspensions that, like many things, is a a very subjective category. And because of its subjectivity, we've found that if we compare it to other categories of suspension, that it has been used in much more frequency and in much higher numbers on students of color, LGBTQ students, disabled students, and students with other learning issues. These are the exact kids in school that we need to be doing our best to help them succeed. Kicking a kid out of school, suspending them, isn't a signal of success. And so it seemed to me very appropriate to limit that category of willful defiance and additionally to extend it to the higher grades because obviously we want students to be successful no matter what the grade. But what's our real objective in terms of our K through 12? It's to get a kid to graduate. And what we see, the data, is that kids who are suspended in high school, they tend to be kids who then drop out. They do not finish high school. There was an effort several years ago to restrict willful defiance in all K-12 grades, and the governor was very much opposed to it. What is your sense now? Do you think he would be more amenable to this? Because obviously he has to sign this bill, even if you're able to get it through the legislature. Well, the governor's approach is one that he tends to favor allowing each district to 
make such decisions themselves. And what he's indicated at times is that we've got some of our large school districts, for example, Oakland Unified, Sacramento, a number of others, Los Angeles Unified, that have already eliminated willful defiance as a category for suspension. So he looks, well, you know, if they've already eliminated, then the others could do so voluntarily. The problem is that it's the very districts that don't necessarily act in this way that sometimes have to be pushed to. And so that's why it seems to me it's appropriate for the state to weigh in and to say, you know, we don't think this category of suspension is an appropriate category. Now, I want to clarify, the bill allows for a teacher to remove a disruptive student from the classroom. My intention is not to have a disruptive student interfere with the learning of all other students in the classroom. So we do have the provision that the teacher, if they need to get that student out of that classroom for that day or for a couple of days, the school site just needs to figure out the alternative. So rather than sending them home, which we know for many kids, middle of the day, there's really not a home to go to. Either their parents are working or perhaps they don't even have parents. Whereas if we remove them from the classroom and the school site has to provide an alternative for them, we're creating more opportunity for success while still protecting other students in the classroom's ability to learn. Now, I know there's been some talk about kind of splitting the difference to reach some kind of compromise. Instead of extending the ban on willful defiance suspensions to K-12 grades, to do it K-6 through or K-8. through Are you open to that kind of quote-unquote compromise? Well, I'm certainly open to reasonable discussions, but I think the high school years are so essential. We want students to graduate from high school and the data tells us and informs us that those students who are suspended, their likelihood of dropping out and never graduating goes up exponentially. And we also know that if you are a dropout from high school, you're likelier to then fall in the criminal justice system, potentially be imprisoned. You certainly aren't gonna get as good of a job and so we not only have the desire to have educational success, we want life success for our students. And so when we look at suspensions, we realize we're not contributing to life success by using that category of suspension. There is substantial opposition. I mean, there was opposition to the K-3 grades, but uh, school administrators and uh, school boards association really feel that this is a tool that teachers should have. And I know we've also talked with teachers. There are quite a number of teachers who feel that they need this tool to be able to really control things in the classroom. My counter to that, and I appreciate the difficulty, and I also appreciate that there's times when there has to be proper punishment, should I say, or consequence to bad behavior. And so I want schools to have appropriate consequence for bad behavior. I just don't want to send the kid onto the street. And you can still limit a student's privileges, take them out of the classroom, put other restrictions on them so that there's an appropriate intervention and appropriate consequence for disruptive or bad behavior without necessarily the tool of suspension.
I think there's been a lot of talk about, or and actually it's happening in many districts, where there are alternatives to suspension, like this positive behavior and intervention supports. It's a mouthful, PBIS, restorative justice, and so on. Is that something that you support? Well, absolutely, I support the alternative. And as I said, there needs to be consequences to students' disruptive behavior. And we've seen that many of those school districts that have eliminated willful defiance as a category of suspension, they have turned to programs like restorative justice or others to deal with the student who is uh, creating that disturbance in the classroom. Now, fortunately this year, we will be able to greatly increase what our school funding, the local control funding formula, so districts will have more money. In the future, we can't always guarantee that state revenues will be such that we'll be able to fund districts in a healthy enough way. And certainly we could do better even today. But I think that compared to five years ago, our school districts are in a healthier financial shape to be able to look at alternatives. Senator Skinner, thanks for talking with us today. And uh, we will be following this legislation very closely in the months ahead. You're welcome. Thank you. We've been talking with Senator Nancy Skinner from her office in Sacramento. John, you heard Senator Skinner talking about the local control funding formula and the funds that districts might have to introduce these alternatives to suspensions. There's some movement, some push in the legislature to change the formula. Could you just let us know what happened that this came up this week? Well, actually add money to the base, which is the amount of money in the formula that all districts get a uniform amount. And this week, four senators, Portentino, Allen, Glazier, and Hill came out and said, we think that we want to raise the base by a billion dollars above what the governor is proposing in his budget. The governor's already proposing $3 billion increase for the formula. They say, we let's put another billion. And this is money that the governor had said should be discretionary one-time money. They say, look, this is a good year. Let's let's make this permanent. Let me just, just clarify. So in the local control funding formula, there's a base amount that goes to every district. And then on top of that, you get the supplemental and concentration grants based on the number of high-need students, low-income students, English learners, and so on. So, But there's been a feeling that that base amount that goes to all districts is not really sufficient to meet the needs of those districts. Is that is that what you're talking about? Yeah, there? I think you'll find uniform agreement on that, particularly now with special education costs rising, pension costs rising. Districts say, you know, we didn't anticipate this when the formula was passed, and so we need help with the base and the senators are responding. The question is how the governor will react because he's very conservative when it comes to money. He says, I don't want to make any permanent increases because we don't know if there's going to be a recession around the corner. But uh, how would this work? If you have a billion dollars more going to the base, would this mean taking it away from the supplemental and concentration grants? No, actually, it would result in more money for them because when you increase the base, you also increase supplemental and concentration grants by about $200 million, and the senators said, we'll find that money too. Okay, so but where would this money come from, this billion dollars? Well, it's all within Proposition 98. It's just part of the money that the governor said, we're going to keep this as one-time money for districts because we need to be very fiscally conservative. And they say, we're confident to restore this money and make it permanent as part of the formula. But just let me ask you, when this local control funding formula was first introduced, there was a lot of 
there was a quite a good deal of resistance, particularly amongst districts which felt they, they weren't going to be getting this extra supplemental and concentration grants. Those districts where you don't have a lot of so-called high-need students fitting into those categories. How has that played out? Is Has that kind of concern died out, or do you still hear rumblings amongst districts that they are not getting their fair share of the pie? Well, you hear particularly that the base is too small and that uh, they were willing to make a trade-off under the formula, which is to say, we'll give you more flexibility to spend it as you want to. We're not going to dictate how you spend it. And that was very persuasive in the passage of the formula. And it's still, looking back, to me, quite amazing that you were able to shift and create a new finance formula without a court fight over this. So just quickly then, this proposal to increase the base funding, is that legislation that the legislature would vote on this term? It'll be part of the budget negotiations, and we haven't heard from the Assembly. I'm assuming it may be well-received there, too, but we haven't heard. This was just an announcement this week. Well, before we say goodbye to you, we unfortunately have to say goodbye to our producer, Sarah Tan, who has been here behind the scenes for the last several months. Without her, we would not have had a podcast. Uh, She's going to be going to Woods Hole, Massachusetts. I've told her this is one of the great parts of the country. Uh, She's a little little concerned about leaving the Bay Area and all the great weather, although it's been a little cold this week, maybe getting her prepared for the change in climate on the East Coast. We just wanted to thank Sarah very much for her help. Thank you, Sarah. You've made us sound terrific. Thanks so much, guys. I will definitely be tuning in from Woods Hole, so keep up the podcast. Well, thank you, Sarah. And thanks again to our sponsor, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation, for their support of the podcast. Thanks to John Fensterwald for joining us again. And thanks to all of you for listening. See you next week.